Now that might sound like one of the most boring sounds you've ever heard. Yet what you're listening to is the sound of one of the world's most exciting technologies in action, a battery. From cars to phones and even drones, just about everything with electric circuits requires batteries. But while the 21st century has seen a revolution in technology, the batteries themselves still have a way to go. I'm Kunal Dutta, and you're listening to the Energy Podcast brought to you by Shell. In each episode, we'll be asking the big questions of how the world will meet its future energy challenges. We'll be talking about how to capture carbon and jargon-busting blockchain. Today, however, we are talking about batteries. And when you think of that technology and its impact on the future, the chances are this man isn't far from your mind. Their idea of an electric car is something that doesn't look good, isn't fast, doesn't have high performance, has low range. We wanted to break the mold of all of that and so produce something that was beautiful, uh, had high acceleration, incredible handling, had tons of capability, lots of room, and really was better than any gasoline car. Elon Musk is, of course, the co-founder of Tesla, the company that went out to prove electric cars could be sexy. Today, there are 3 million electric cars on the world's roads, and by 2030, that could have increased to 125 million, according to industry predictions. Of course, all of this brings a challenge. It's going to require more and better batteries, and the technological revolution that that could spark could change the way we live, work and travel. But how is that going to happen? To answer this, I headed to Oxford, the place where nearly 40 years ago, critical research into rechargeable batteries was first conducted. There I met a small startup who are trying to crack some of the field's most important challenges. Now, remember that sound you heard at the beginning of the podcast? That was from them. Hi, I'm Christoph Berkel. I'm the co-founder and CEO of BroPower. We realized in our research in Oxford that more than 50% of all lithium-ion battery cells ended in the bin while still being perfectly usable. I'm Carolyn Hicks. I uh, work, have been working for the startup since we started, so I'm a co-founder. And I can't help but believe that we should get the most out of every cell within a pack. I was amazed to find out that we weren't. Hi, my name is Damien Frost, and I'm the CTO and also co-founder of Brill Power. It takes 454 watt-hours of energy to produce one watt-hour of lithium-ion battery energy storage. That means you have to use your batteries at least 454 times just to break even on the amount of energy that went into producing that cell in the first place. So I'm holding a battery module, and what most people can't see is that inside a battery pack there are three main parts. One is the battery cells themselves, so the actual electrochemical energy storage elements. There's the mechanical parts, the piece that keeps all the batteries and everything together, and then there's the brain. And so Brill Power has designed a new brain for battery packs. The brain sits on a printed circuit board. It's actually making intelligent choices about where to, to draw current from and put current into so that the stronger cells are loaded more and the weaker cells are loaded less, thereby extending the lifetime of the entire pack. Fascinating stuff. Joining me here in London is Billy Wu, Senior Lecturer at the Dyson School of Engineering at Imperial College London. I'm also joined by James Frith, an Energy Storage Analyst at Bloomberg, and Carlton Cummings, an entrepreneur and co-founder of battery startup Acceleron. Carlton, 
Can we just step back a little bit? There'll be people listening to this going, why am I listening to a podcast about batteries? Why do I even care about batteries? Yeah, um, batteries are what I would frame these days as one of the great enablers. Um, the reason why I like to frame it as a, a great enabler, because oftentimes it's not really about the battery itself. That's the big deal, but what the battery allows you to do. So when you're looking at um, sustainable transport, renewable energy, you know, lots of these things that were very challenging to really explore before, you, you know, in a, a century where the conversation is now possible, we are in a generation, we're one of the, the, the lucky few that we are seeing shifts in the way we power our lives. You know, generations before our forefathers, you know, our, our grandparents, they didn't really have a choice, you know, do I use renewable energy or do I just kind of take whatever comes down the pipe? We actually have that choice, and that's quite exciting. This is a shift in how the world is powering itself. James, what do you make of that? I mean, this idea that actually people need to just sort of stop and think a little bit more about what it is that is enabling them to do the things in their lives that they want to do. Definitely, it's probably the biggest revolution that we will ever see in our lives is the change in transportation and renewable energy that's being enabled by batteries. And I think for the public... It is very much kind of a black box at the moment. You know, you have a phone that works. Uh, when it stops working, you get a new one. But it becomes more of an issue when you buy an electric vehicle because it's such a big investment. You need to know that that's going to last you 10 years at least. But we're getting used to our needs being met instantaneously, Billy. The idea of sitting around waiting overnight for your car to charge when I know that my car is sitting in the driveway with an um, internal combustion engine ready to go in any eventuality. Isn't that a big problem? Like, isn't it much more appealing to just use what you know, which is ready to go, rather than sitting around waiting for battery technology to speed up the charging time? Oh, it's a huge problem in terms of we've got a technology which allows us to really move away from our fossil fuel dependency. Things like solar and wind are the solution, but there are challenges in terms of their integration into the grid. They are intermittent in terms of the the wind blows and the sun shines at irregular times and battery technology is one way to kind of integrate that into it and it allows us to reduce that carbon emission. But just because we've got the technology doesn't mean that it gets ad adopted because uh, people are generally irrational. So we have this great technology that allows us to move away from uh, petrol and diesel. However, things like refueling times, it just kind of affects people's mentality. Things like range anxiety, which people worry about running out of charge and not being able to charge again, that really affects how people buy into the technologies. James, is the future of electric cars as promising as it could be, or is it all hinged on how battery technology develops? I think a lot of it does ride on how battery technology develops, but I think you know what we're seeing now is that all of the big uh, OEMs are getting OEMs behind are sorry, original car original equipment manufacturers, so right. the, the car, car manufacturers. Yeah. You know they're all getting behind this now. We see that Jaguar, Land Rover have launched their own electric vehicle, so the pace is really picking up. And you know I think once you have such critical mass, actually the technology is going to take off and it is going to get us where we need to go. We're joined now from Amsterdam as well by Marek Kubik, who's a market director at Fluence Energy. Now, Marek, you provide large battery packs for the grid. Do you think that um, this idea of a renewable future being powered by battery technology is really understood? 
No. Um, and as we take a step back to this, so energy storage is really the critical missing piece to this whole puzzle. And the, from an electricity network point of view, it's something that's never really been considered. You go back to the days when the first electricity grids were being built, they were really built on the premise that you couldn't store electricity. And battery energy storage is fundamentally something that, that transforms that. The direction of travel is towards more distributed and intermittent generation, but ultimately zero carbon. And you can enable that with, with storage. Carlton, your company, Acceleron, is trying to bring energy to off-grid communities in parts of the world. Just tell us a little bit about what that's like on the ground. So this idea, if you do want to balance intermittency solar technology with battery technology, how easy is it? Yeah, um, Acceleron does do a lot of work um, with batteries or energy storage um, when it comes to uh, off-grid applications. And uh, there are some interesting challenges you, you meet, particularly with the work we do in developing nations, etc. Um, I'm from an island, so I, I have that, that island perspective. And one thing we, we tend to learn to appreciate very quickly is the fact that, uh, I like to frame it as that there's no Amazon Prime, so when stuff breaks, you need to fix it there or you need to wait a really long time. So from working in these kind of markets, we kind of realized that there are some simple values that we that were extremely valuable with uh, energy storage, and serviceability was one of them, being able to provide them a product that they could address in the market. So an example, when we did some work in Kenya, what we did um, conventionally, you would um, send a battery assembled, and you know, it would work, and then it would stop working, and then you'd be like, tough, you know, buy a couple new ones. We sent the battery as parts. We trained the guys in Kenya on how to assemble the, our batteries. We then let them deploy the batteries in the country, and we, we gave them the service and support, support to maintain the batteries in country. It's a very different perspective, but it's a little bit like a car. You, you wouldn't want to buy a car where if you get a flat tire, you need to buy a new car. It's, it's a massive investment, and for these people, energy storage is a significant investment, so you want to treat it as such. So, a uh, question to all of you then, really. I mean, this is the kind of missing piece when they say, you know, we need to move towards more renewables on the grid. You hear a lot about the solar panel and the wind turbines and the need to sort of power communities uh, like that, but am I right then in thinking you can't do this at all without battery technology? <laughs> It's one that has a it depends answer. Okay. So let's, we're trying not to depends. give you that engineering answer. <laughs> okay. Um, it's one of those things where you can, but there's a consequence. Okay. You, you could do um, distribution of energy without a battery. But the, what the battery does that is really attractive is like a bucket. You can fill that bucket with whatever you need at a given time, you know, when it's available. Whether it's renewable energy, fossil fuels, it just gives you that flexibility. Whereas without the bucket, you need to do some clever scheduling and balancing to get everything to work. Which goes back to our point of people want stuff here and now. Exactly. And so around. you can see where yeah. you get that equivocal response. Like, uh, you probably could, but do you want to? Yeah. How far are we from a world where we all have batteries in our homes? So, I mean, I think it's, it's an interesting question. And the answer is it kind of depends completely where you are. You use the example of Germany um, and actually you know, Germany has a huge number of uh, residential batteries. And the reason they have so many batteries is the government has had a very generous subsidy that's encouraged people to put batteries in place next to their rooftop solar. So we really, we do need a bit of sort of government injection then, would you say? I think it's helped in Germany to date. But actually, you know, the government has stepped down that subsidy now because batteries are cheap enough that you can buy, you know, a new solar PV system and a battery and it 
works on an economic basis. Actually, you get your money back over the lifetime. James, let's just look at this for a minute. I'm driving 100 miles. I'm in an electric car. And the equivalent of my fuel gauge starts to tell me that my battery is running out of power. This is range anxiety. It's a problem, isn't it? So I think it is a real issue, as in, you know, people are very worried about this. It's kind of one of, or at least, you know, it has been one of the biggest cited reasons why people won't go electric. But as Billy mentioned earlier, you know, it's getting to the point now where you can travel 200, 300 miles on a single charge. So in countries like the UK, you can cover a lot of the UK on that charge becomes a bit more of an issue in places like the States. But this is why there's so much interest in fast charging. If you're doing it on a long trip and you can just pull over, plug in for half an hour and get, uh, you know, 60% of your battery charge back. Yeah. Why can't that happen? Why, why can't that be all charging points? Well, I think that's the way people are trying to trying to move to it. But then, you know, it comes back to this issue of if every single charging point is a fast charger, I mean, one, you're going to be damaging your battery over the lifetime quicker. But the other one is that there's going to be a huge draw of energy on the grid. And that's where you start to have kind of real problems of you either need to upgrade the whole grid or start putting in lots of stationary storage batteries to help manage that. We took this question up to the team at Brill Power who had some thoughts as well on infrastructure and how the concept of range anxiety might change as we move over to a world of uh, electric cars. There's going to be technological solutions to this, and there's also going to be a a bit of a change in our attitude toward the way we use transport and what we expect from transport. I think we're starting that shift toward more of a transport as a service, which will help uh, overcome a lot of these challenges. There is fewer and fewer young people owning vehicles, more and more people just um, wanting the availability of transport in whatever shape or form that might be. That in combination with the advent of self-driving vehicles, that will uh, fundamentally shift our relationship with transport. One thing we've seen is that consumers are starting to get smarter about what range anxiety actually means. So when consumers first looked at electric vehicles, they wondered, could I get to work? I think people didn't even realize how few kilometers or miles they were driving in their vehicles. And so the question has shifted from, do I have range anxiety for most of my trips, to how long will my battery be able to cover the range that I'm looking for? Maybe uh, the modern smartphone is a great example of people getting over range anxiety. The old phones of yore would last weeks, but now we're quite happy with a phone that can barely last a day. And this has maybe been training us to get ready for electric vehicles. And now you see um, the phone manufacturers starting to incorporate features so you can track the health of the battery of your cell phone. So I agree with Carolyn that the shift in thinking is moving away from range anxiety and now into lifetime. Carlton, you are obviously um, working on this sort of big project to try and uh, retain or increase the uh, battery lifespan. Uh, is that fair to say? You're looking at me rather sardonically there. Is that, have I got that wrong? Yeah, yeah. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> what I was reflecting on is that uh, what is today's challenge is often an engineer's opportunity. So we tend to get excited by problems. We did a lot of work in the early days in the idea of reuse of um, electric vehicle batteries. So we did a lot of exploration into the um, value that was left back. And a lot of times batteries that were considered no longer useful for driving in cars, electric cars, had 80% of their capacity remaining, 70 capacity remaining. Now, to put this in context, again, it's like um, 
an electric vehicle battery 24 kilowatt hours. That's massive compared to what the average household would use. The challenge is you actually need to do uh, quite a bit of stuff to it, trying to transform it to use or make it viable for the house application because it's now a different application it needs different things but it's very much possible and there's a whole business around you know the idea of reuse repurposing it's, it's an exciting space when you look at it it's the whole area of there are guys investigating how to develop new technology how to package this new technology what products to put this new technology into and then there are a whole set of guys what can we do with this new technology again and that's often a lot of the space that we play in how can we make best use of this technology? Marek, let me turn to you on, on that one. Is, is there anything that needs to be done to try and crack the potential wastage issue that could come as we uh, move into this new battery-populated uh, world? Sure. Well, I mean, this is a mantra that I think is is you know still taught in primary schools. The basic level of of you know what do you do about managing stewardship of the environment is reduce, reuse, recycle. It's the same principle that applies here. Now, the reductions are coming from the sort of efficiencies that we talked about. That you can do more with less. Batteries are improving in density and efficiency. Currently, when you get these batteries towards the end of their life, use them once. Maybe you've used them a second time. At some point, you've still got to do something about that. There is a challenge there, and I think it's a challenge that will emerge as the scale is produced. Uh, currently, because batteries are falling so quickly in cost, it's usually cheaper to buy a new one uh, than it is to try and recycle the old one and create a new cell from it. But as that cost levels out to the level that uh, James was talking about, um, and it sort of plateaus, then uh, you know suddenly it is going to make more sense to try and recycle those batteries and get out the useful component parts and basically put them into new battery cells. So the potential for full life cycle recycling and having a closed loop on this or virtual closed loop is uh, is actually pretty good. So looking ahead, can we just narrow down to one single thing you'd like to see happen in the battery industry? James. So I think increasing scrutiny of the supply chain and the kind of ethical issues around the metals going into it, like cobalt, which comes from the DRC. Carlton Cummings, what would you like to see? Well, what I'd really love to see is more reflection and excitement globally on, on the future. I mean, we're at a stage where energy storage is enabling a lot of new things from transportation to how we power our homes. That's that's exciting. So, you know, reflection and excitement around I'd like to see more of. Marek? I think I'd like to see the conversation move from megawatts and, and millions of pounds into the gigawatts and billions of pounds. But the thing that really needs to change to accelerate that is recognising batteries as infrastructure assets. And Billy? I'd love to see increasing diversity of applications and innovation in the area, so things like electric scooters, uh, how we use them in a domestic environment, because uh, that opens up huge opportunities for new applications. Well, thanks to all my guests, Billy Wu from Imperial College London, James Frith from Bloomberg, Carlton Cummings from Acceleron, and Marek Kubik from Fluence Energy. And of course, the folks from Brill Power in Oxford. Next time on the Energy Podcast, we'll be looking at hydrogen, the most abundant element in the universe, to see whether it really could change the future of transport. The Energy Podcast was produced by Fresh Air Production. The views you've heard today are those of the people featured and not the Shell Group or its affiliates. Please do subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a review. In the meantime, from me, Kunal Dutta, it's thank you for listening and goodbye.